Amen. Well, like I said, it is my incredible privilege to preach the Bible. We believe that God wrote a book and he wants to speak to us. Isn't that awesome? You ready to hear from the Lord this morning? Let's go in, in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, one of our ushers would be coming around you and just get their attention. They would love to give you a Bible. That way you have a copy of God's Word in front of you. And as you're turning there, I, I, I just I wonder, when is the last time that you said, wow, because you were amazed by something? When's the last time that you were just like in shock and awe over something? It kind of takes a lot for us, doesn't it? We live in a, a CGI saturated culture. Some of the stuff that we see regularly in, in the movies and the media, it's kind of crazy. And the technology that we have these days, that, that like uh, seriously, like 20 years ago, it would have seemed crazy, the stuff that we have. And yet today, now it's just like normal. It's no big thing. In fact, I, I was having a conversation uh, with my uh, kiddos uh, about uh, back in the day when, when mommy and daddy were little, uh, phones were attached to the wall. You should have seen their eyes like, you got to be kidding me. That's like shocking and amazing. This stuff is like normal to us now. Like we, we have self-driving cars and our, our, our smartphones and, and uh, FaceTime. We can FaceTime people from all over the world like right now. And, and we have a Chick-fil-A app. I know you were super amazed by that, right? Like this, it's kind of incredible that we have some of this technology, but, but a lot of times it, it, it really takes a lot for us to say, wow, doesn't it? Well, this week, um, I said, I did, I said, wow. We were in Chicago. We were at the Vertical Church Conference. That was a, a, a lot of fun. We had a good group that was there. Uh, while we were there, uh, we rented a car and uh, we, we got, our rental car was a Chevy Tahoe. And I don't know what year it was. I, I'm pretty sure it was like 2035 or something like that because the tech on this was amazing. It was awesome. I, I started realizing this thing could, like it could tell where the lines were in the road. And if you started going over the line, your seat would rumble. Isn't that cool? And, and then I started realizing that it could tell when there was a solid line and when there was a dotted line. And, and so I had to test it out. We're like down, we're, you know, we're, we're driving out just outside of Chicago. We're on the interstate. There wasn't a whole lot of people there. And, and it was pretty straight, right? And, and so I just like let go of the wheel for a minute. And I'm, I kid you not, this thing like it starts veering over here and it detects the line and sends us back this direction. Oh, there's a line over there. And it just kept redirecting. Is that awesome? I was like blown away by this. Thank you for praying for us while we were there. Uh, it was awesome. Hey, here's, here's the deal. Way more amazing than self-driving cars, more amazing than getting to order Chick-fil-A on your phone is what happens in Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3 is going to make you go, wow. Because we're going to see God's grace here. We're going to see God's awesome, amazing grace. So just to recap here, Jonah has been running from God. Not a good plan. Uh, God caught him, right? No shock there. Uh, but he caught him in the mouth of a fish. That was a little weird. And, and, and it was while Jonah was in the belly of the fish, as we saw last week, that he prays. He cries out to God and he praises God for his salvation. Then Jonah chapter 2, uh, verse 10, God spoke to the fish and the fish spit him out. Now I know that like, we're, we're so familiar, we've heard this story before, that's not shocking to us at all, but can, can, can you just like imagine you're reading this for the very first time, if you would have read that, that's, the fish is kind of shocking. Would you agree with me on that? It's a little crazy that a guy would get swallowed by a fish, but Jonah 3 is even more shocking. Jonah 3 is full of, wait, what? What, what, just, what just happened? Did not see that coming. 
Jonah 3 is full of, wait, what moments that lead to some pretty amazing wow moments. And I just want us, I'm just praying that, that, that our hearts would be amazed again by the grace of God today. I mean, if, they, if, if you wanted a big idea, that would be it. God gives grace that I don't deserve. And that's amazing. God gives grace. I don't deserve it. That's amazing. Or, or, or maybe just as simple as this. God's grace is amazing. Are you amazed this morning? Are, are you amazed yet? Turn to your neighbor and say, you're going to be. Go ahead, tell them. We need to be amazed. We cannot lose the shock and the amazement and the wonder and the awe that God would give us his grace. I'm telling you, if we lose that, if we lose that shock and amazement, uh, then I'll tell you what's going to happen. Like today and, and every other time we get together, it's just going to be another Sunday. And we'll just start going through the motions and eventually you're wondering why in the world are we even here? And if we lose that, then we are going to lose the fire that fuels the passion in our hearts to, to be on mission, to go, and to make disciples of all nations. We cannot lose this amazement over the grace of God. So I want us to see this. I hope that you're going to be shocked today. Jonah chapter 3, here we are. Uh, verse 1 says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. That should have been shocking. Uh, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now that really is shocking right there. And now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath, and Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God called out for a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Did not see that coming. And the word reached the king, even the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, and he removed his robe, and he covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster to them that he said he would do to them. And he did not do it. God, would you just speak to us even this morning? What an awesome thing that you would give us grace. We just don't deserve it. Would you help us to be shocked? Would you help us to be amazed again? That you would give us grace even when we don't deserve it. God, stir our affections for this. I know that this, this may feel like the ABCs, the beginning of Christianity. This is it. This is what we need this morning, that we would, we would live in this. God, you would, we, we would stir our heart, the passion for us. Would you motivate us, not out of guilt, but by out of your mercy and your grace that you have uh, poured that out on us, God, that we would long to be able to be faithful witnesses to this. Lord, if, if we haven't been sharing the gospel, if we haven't been on mission with you, then it's probably a good indication that we've lost that amazement. 
Would you forgive us of that this morning? Just show us your glory here. We'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here we are. Let's, let's just see what's supposed to be shocking here. Verse 1 says that, that the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. That's supposed to be shocking, okay? And the reason it's shocking is it's crazy that God would still want to use Jonah and that he would give him a second chance. And here he is. He's given the second chance. He puts him back on mission. He says, arise, go to Nineveh, uh, that great city. Call out against it the message that I tell you. Okay, so you're not going, you're not doing your own thing. You're going to do exactly what I told you to do. And, and, and most of us, as, as soon as you read this, you're kind of like, wait, 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 what? Like God's trying this again? Like we already saw what happened the first time. And when something doesn't work right, what do you do with it? Think about like, think about a box of matches. You take out a box of matches and, and you take one of the matches out and, and you're trying to light it and it's just not working. It's not, not, it's just not lighting. What do you do with that match? What do you do? Throw it out. I don't need this. It's no good to me. I'll just get another one. And if someone fails on the job, what do you do? You write them off. You fire them. Like, like you didn't do the job. I can't trust you. I'll find somebody else to do it. So it is grace that God would still come and choose to use Jonah. Jonah doesn't deserve a second chance. It's just awesome. Are you thankful for the God of second chances? We don't always get second chances, but I'm so thankful when you do. It's, it's God's grace. Jonah, God didn't need Jonah. He didn't need him in the first place, right? If he really, if the goal was that he was just going to wipe Nineveh off the map, then, then like, I mean, he could have just done that. Or if he needed to get the message out of him, he could have written in the sky or sent somebody else. It's grace that God would send him, and it's grace that he would give Jonah a second chance. Because remember, remember um, Jonah chapter 1, we, we learned that Jonah's kind of like a stupid shopping cart. Remember that? Like, you, you ever get that cart where, like, two aisles into it, you, you, you realize you've got the stupid one, and it just, like, keeps wanting to go the wrong direction. I'm like, just go straight. I'll tell you when it's done. But, like, this is Jonah's heart. It's still there. And, you're, and, and I know he's being compliant right now. Verse, verse 3 says, Jonah, he did. He arose, and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. I'm kind of thinking, like, well, what else was he supposed to do? Because for crying out loud, like he went through these consequences. He just got swallowed by a fish. He's like, I ain't doing that again. I'll just go ahead and do it. He's doing exactly what God said to do. But we're going to learn next week in Jonah chapter 4 that his heart is still not in the right place. Jonah is still the stupid shopping cart wanting to do his own thing. And it's amazing to me that God doesn't take him back to the front of the store and get a new one. It's grace. And before we jump all over Jonah's case, let's just remember like this is, this is my heart too, right? I am prone to wander, go my own way, not do what God has asked me to do. And after all that, that Jonah's done to try to get away from God and, and, and basically saying like, I'd rather die than do what God says. After all of that, God still wants to use him, which means here's the shocking and amazing truth about his grace for us this morning. Note this, God still uses me his mission. God still uses me for his mission. Even when I've messed up. Come on, somebody say, wow. Is that not amazing to you? So the, the, the theological problem that I have with the illustration of the box of matches is it, it kind of gives you this impression that if, you know, if one doesn't work, that God could just like find another. He'll find somebody else that'll do it, right? Here's the problem. Scripture says that God looks down from heaven and he's searching to see if any have understanding. 
Will any obey? There is not one. None of you don't get another one? None of us obey perfectly. Jesus is the only one who ever fulfilled God's mission in perfect obedience. So it is amazing that God would choose to use any of us. It's just grace. And can I tell you, do you know, uh, God wants to use you on this mission. He does. Is that not shocking to you? Is that not amazing that God would extend his mercy and his grace to you and want to use you? And we're also seeing God's sovereignty here. Don't forget that, right? Like, like his commands cannot be ignored. You can't stop his plans, even by your own choices, even if you choose to run. Uh, Jonah, think about that. Jonah chapter one, God says, I want you to go. And he's like, no, I'm not doing it. I am not doing what you said. And, and, and the story is like God's coming after him saying like, Yes, actually, you are. You are going to do what I said you're going to. And it took him a couple chapters, but here he is doing exactly what God said. And I'm kind of thinking he could have saved himself a whole lot of stress if he would have just done what God says right out the beginning. I mean, he probably wouldn't have got a book written after him in the Bible, but you, would have, you, you, would, you wouldn't have had to go through like the whole drowning thing and the fish and getting vomited back onto dry land. That's gross. You're seeing God's sovereignty in here. You can't thwart the plan of God. And you're also seeing God's determination. He is going to get this message out. The plan doesn't change just because of the foolish choices of his servants. And God wants to use us. We have a mission, right? Our mission, some of y'all got excited, like the mission is not that we get to go out and say, hey, like 40, 40 days, God's going to blow you up. That's not the mission that God has given us, right? He has told us, here's our mission, that we would go, go, be a bold witness and make disciples of all nations. And, and, and that's for you too. Do you know that? If you trusted in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins, then God called you into that mission. He wants to use you in getting this message of the gospel out. He's saying, you go. That's not just for pastors. That's not for professionals. That's for everyday people who have been changed by the grace of Jesus. And it's awesome that he would use us. So thankful for that. Even when I mess up, even when I don't get it right, he still, he wants to use me. I gotta be honest with you, I, I, um, I was convicted this week uh, because I'm thinking about like, okay, who is it that God has really called me to, uh, you know, share the gospel with? I'm trying, I wanna do this too. I, I, I wanna be able to be used of God wherever we're at in our community, share the gospel with these people. They're lost, they need a savior. And, and I had a guy that I uh, encountered last year. He's, he's a neighbor, he lives in my neighborhood. Um, and I'd connected with him. And back in January, we had it set up. I was gonna go to lunch with this guy. And I just wanted to, you know, build a friendship with him and be able to uh, develop the relationship and, and have the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with this guy. And, and for whatever reason, back in January, uh, something came up and he wasn't able to meet. And so it has literally been on my to-do list since January to call this guy back and, and reschedule so that, so that I'd have opportunity to connect with him. And, and it's on my little to-doist app. I've got it, but I just kept swiping left every week and just like move it to next week, just bump it back. And literally just feeling, I'm just trying to tell you, like God still uses us even when we're messing up and we're not doing what he's called us to do. Is that not awesome? It's his grace. And if, if, if God can use a guy like Jonah, then he can use you. So who is it that he's called you to go talk to? You think about somebody? Who's on, who's on your list? Just be encouraged that he would choose 
to use us. That's His grace. Here's the second shocking and amazing truth about God's grace. God turns my heart to Himself. God turns my heart to Himself. Verse 4 says that Jonah began to go. So here he is. He's doing what God wants him to do. He's back on mission. And here's what he says. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Okay, so that that word um, overthrown is kind of an interesting word in the Hebrew. It could also be translated um, transformed, which could be kind of ironic, right? Because it's really exactly what happened in in the city. Uh, But uh, we know what Jonah meant. What, what he's basically saying is like, 40 days, God's going to blow you off the map. And, and I don't know if he had like a, a cardboard sign out there uh, on the street corner or what, but he is preaching gloom and doom, turn or burn, and it's like God is not messing around. And I just wonder, like, how would, how would you have responded to that if you'd seen him? You think about that? Like, what would that have sounded like? You see some crazy guy on the side of the street, and he's, 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 he's it's that turn or burn message, and he's screaming spits flying out of his mouth. And, and like, how, how, would, how would you have? Heard that and responded. What would what, what, that have looked like? I know what I look like after three days without a shower, but this dude's been hanging out in the three days in the digestive organ of a fish. Just let your imagination go there. What would that have looked like for them? But here's the crazy part, verse five. And the people of Nineveh believed God. Wait, what? what? That's shocking. What? That's not, they're the bad guys. That's not how this is supposed to go, right? You think about whenever you see bad guys in the movie, uh, and especially when they need to like dispose of a whole bunch of bad guys in a battle scene, they always make, they're, they're always like monsters or something that you don't really feel sorry for. Think about like orcs or, or stormtroopers, right? Like we just get, get rid of them. We don't need them. We can blow them up and nobody feels bad about them. These are the, what would it have been like for Jonah to have looked them in the face? To see men and, and, and moms and, little kids, and to look in their eyes. They're people. And watching them respond in repentance, he's got to be thinking like, what are you doing? You're, you're the bad guys. This is not how you're supposed to respond. This is how it's supposed to go. You're supposed to be evil and wicked, so I don't feel bad when God wipes you off the map. Like that's, this, isn't, this, is, this is kind of a powerful lesson for Jonah, isn't it? I think it's a powerful lesson for us as well. But I don't want you to miss this. Do you see do you see God's heart here? Do you see God's heart for the nations? See, Jonah has no problem. Like, if I, like God, I'll go talk to my people. I don't have a problem like going and, and, and bringing a message to my people, but not, not those people. You see God's heart for the nations? And God's heart for the lost? Which includes me? includes you. It's God's grace that he would send a messenger to warn them. And yes, these people, they are sinners. They are evil. They do not deserve the mercy or the grace of God. But you and I have to stop thinking that that I deserve God's grace, but those people don't. And I don't know who those people are to you, Maybe it's your really annoying neighbor with the yapping dog that like barks every time you walk in the door. You're like, man, I gotta deal with him. Maybe it's a guy who would drive a vehicle into a crowd driven by hatred, racism. 
They don't deserve the mercy of grace. I know. But we need to repent of our pride. I am no better or deserving than the grace of God than anyone else. What we're learning is that the the ground is level at the foot of the cross, right? None of us deserve it. Yes, it's shocking that God would save those people. But, But the more I understand the depths of my own sin, the closer that I get to a holy God and begin to understand who He is, it's even more shocking and more amazing that God would save me. Are you amazed by His grace? None of us deserve this. But that He would turn our hearts to Him and, and you did, man, this is like crazy that God's at work here, right? And so he, he's, he's preaching. This is a preacher's dream, by the way. I mean, God's working mightily through Jonah. I mean, you, you, this, he's bringing revival to an entire pagan city. Verse 5 says, says from, the, from the greatest of them to the least. I mean, you put that on your resume, right? I just like walked down to D.C. one day, started preaching on the side of the road. Everybody started praying to God. It's pretty awesome. It's kind of cool. Like, that's crazy. And, and, and. It's a lesson for Jonah, but I also think it's a warning. It's a warning because Jonah is actually also representative of the nation of Israel, and they would have read this book. And this was a warning for Israel to repent. It was really an indictment on God's people. Because you know what happened whenever God sent them a prophet? La, 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 I'm not listening. I'm not, I don't want to hear this. I don't, they, and they're running after their idols. They are not responding in repentance. And, and, and so when they're reading this prophetic book, man, it should have been super embarrassing when they start reading this in chapter 3. And they start realizing that, that Israel is failing in their mission to bless the nations. They're the one that's supposed to be uh, showing Nineveh how to repent and to follow God. But instead, the roles have been reversed. And God's like, well, you're going to learn from them. And I think we can actually learn some things from the nation of Assyria and the Ninevites here. So I want to give you, here's the example. I want to give you five marks of repentance. Five marks of repentance that we see um, out of this. Here they are. Uh, let's just learn from this. Verse 5 says they believe. You believe God. Believe. Uh, and what's, what's crazy is I, I, they, they start like, everybody. they call for a fast, they put on sackcloth. And, but then down in verse 7 uh, eight and, and, and nine, like here, here's, there's, there's, the king is telling them. He's calling for the fast and to put on sackcloth. So, so which is it? Did, did the people start doing it first or did the king say it first? Like, here's the deal. Chapter, or, or verse five is not in chronological order. It's not in chronological order. It's the narrator's way. He put that there to indicate this. He's trying to help you understand and highlight they immediately responded. There was an immediate response when, like, no sooner had Jonah gotten the words out, hey, 40 days, and, and God's going to overthrow Nineveh. They're like, they're, they're believing him. They believe God's word. Hey, whenever we hear the word of God, we need to take it at, at his word and believe him. And here's, you, you know this, actually, that, that all of us have a, a sense in us that there is right and wrong. We all know that. We all know that we need some rules. Like we, we need some rules and we need people to follow those rules. I mean, that's why we have government. That's why we have uh, military. That's why we have uh, law enforcement. We, we, we need people to follow the rules. But we also have a sense, uh, there's this kind of, this, this, this weight of, of guilt, if we're honest. And we've all felt it. Because we've all sensed, as C.S. Lewis has said, that we have failed to practice ourselves the kind of behavior we expect from other people. 
We all kind of know that I've done some things that I'm not super proud about. And whenever I've done those things, it doesn't make me feel very good. I've got this sense that, that, that's, that, that is, uh, it's, it's wrong. And here's what happens. God's word comes in and it tells us why. God's word proclaimed to us tells us that we were created by God and God is holy and we are sinners and our sin deserves punishment. That's what the Ninevites are starting to understand. This God, you don't mess with him. And, and, and so the first step in repentance is that you would just admit it. Believe and admit that you are a sinner. Do it now. Don't wait. That you would admit, like God's word is just confirming kind of what you already know, but helping you understand it in a greater way. You've got a problem. And, and when that's the case, then it leads you to the second mark of repentance. You get low. You get low. Verse 5 says they're, 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 uh, he calls for a fast. So we're not going to eat. We're going to put on sackcloth. That just meant they're going to take off their dry fit shirt or their polyester, their designer jeans. Put that off. And, and instead, we're going to put something ugly on. We're going to put on sackcloth made out of goat or camel hair. It would have been really itchy and uncomfortable. This was a public indication for, like, I'm, I'm in mourning. I am repenting. It's almost like when, when, when somebody, kind of like when somebody would wear black at a funeral. It's just a public declaration of something that's going on inside here. And then verse 6, look at verse 6. Man, what a picture. Even the king, even the king gets down off of his throne and he sits down in the ashes and he proclaims this fast. This is extreme demonstration of sorrow and humility. And Pastor James McDonald says, when you get this, you, you get as low as you can, as fast as you can. When you begin to understand, man, he is holy, and I am not. I am a sinner. You get low. You get on your knees. You, it's not time to make excuses. It's not time to try to save face, make it sound like it's not as bad. You are not okay. You get as low as you can, as fast as you can, and then, then this. Here's the third mark. You pray. Or you call out. Verse 8. So uh, the, the, the king says, all right, everybody, everybody get in sackcloth. And then he says, let them call out mightily to God. Now, when you need mercy, you beg, you pray. And I'm not talking just some like weak, passive prayer. You do it with all your might. Do it like you mean it. Do it like your life depends on it because it does, right? This, this isn't like, hey God, I, I, I think I'd like to try Jesus out for a little while. I think I'd like to add you to me. This is, I need you. It's desperate. I am lost without you. Please save me. That's the kind of prayer that we have going on when we understand that we need to repent of our sin. And, and then this, verse 8, let them call out mightily to God and let everyone turn from his evil way. So you turn from sin. See, the evidence of repenting is turning. I'll show you that like, like, like you're just like going this direction. You start to realize like, okay, I'm going the wrong way. Uh, this is not where I need to be. Uh, but this is a moment, if I'm going to actually repent of this, I... I, I, I start to admit it, like, okay, this is not, this is not right. Uh, but it, it, it's, it's not enough for me to just say, hey, God, you know, I'm really, really sorry for that, and then just keep going. I'm going to stop. I'm not going that way anymore. But then I'm not just going to stop. I am literally going to turn around and walk away from the sin. There's got to be a demonstration that you really mean it. It's not enough to just say sorry, right? And, and we all kind of know this instinctively. In fact, let, let me, can, can we just do a scenario so I can prove this? Let's just do a scenario. Let's just say that you have a friend and 
she decides for whatever reason that she is going to wear a fanny pack. And when she does, what do you do? You, you make fun of her. I mean, she's kind of earned it, right? And it's, it's fanny pack. And, and, and so you're kind of like making fun of her in this moment. And then she comes up to you and, and, and she, she, she's like heartbroken over this. That you would make. She says like, I, I just, I, I feel like it, I'm, I'm hurt that you would do this. You just made me feel like an idiot. And it doesn't matter if you're thinking you did that to yourself. But like you're starting to realize like this has really cut her deep. And she's pained by the, the fact that you've made fun of her. And then you start to kind of feel bad. You realize like, okay, this was wrong. And, and so you, you, you say, you know, like, I'm, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't want to hurt you. That was not my intentions. And you hug it out and everything's okay, right? But then the next day, guess what she decides to wear? She starts wearing the fanny pack and you're like, <laughs> you start making fun of her. Now, did you repent? No. There's no evidence that you actually changed, that you turned from what you knew was wrong. So the evidence of real repentance is real change in behavior. It's a, I was, I was going this direction, but God, he stepped in and, and he changed me. He saved me. And now my life looks different. And you just have to know that is a work of God. This is, don't, don't hear this. It's like, hey, you just need to like turn from your sin as though you could do that. You can't. This is the work of God in you. We are, Philippians 2 tells us, we are working out our salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's God that turns my heart. He's the one that can do that. And he's looking for the fruit. Is, the, is, the, is there evidence that this repentance is real? So, so think, about, think about you. Is there evidence in your life to suggest that you really have repented, that you really have turned from your sin? Think about, we, we call it um, a besetting sin. You know what I'm talking about? It's that thing that you struggle with a lot or more frequently. I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's the thing that, like, it's kind of your sin. And you've tried so many times to get free of this. And, but that's the one that you struggle with the most. Is there a growing distance between occasions of your besetting sin. You say, I'm just not sinning as often. Like it used to be like at least a couple times a day. Now it was once a day. Now it's a couple, couple days, a week, a couple weeks, a couple months. I'm not, I'm not sinning as often. I'm seeing victory there. Is there growing distance between that, the times where you're sinning? And is there a drastic decrease in the time that it takes for you to repent. Like, I, I don't go down that road very long, and then I'm, I, I'm, I'm faster to follow Christ than to turn from that sin. Are you seeing the evidence? Is there, has there been some victory there that would prove to you, I'm repenting. I'm seeing, turning from my sin. And then the last mark of repentance is this, that we hope in God. Hope in God. Verse 9, I love this. All right, let everybody turn from his evil way, from the violence that is in his hands. Verse 9, who knows? Who knows? That's a really important question, isn't it? The problem is they don't know God. They refer to him there in, in the text. The word uh, God in the Hebrew there is Elohim, kind of a, a general name for God. But if you look in verse 1, 
Look up there at verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1. It says, then the word of the Lord. If you notice in your Bibles, whenever you see the word in, in, in the Old Testament, you see the word Lord in all capital letters. That is the Hebrew word Yahweh. That's the name that God wanted his people to know him by. Because it's the name that signified the covenant relationship that God had with his people. Here's the problem. Nineveh didn't know the Lord like Jonah knows him. But you could just hear the hope in their voice, right? Who knows? God may turn and relent. I just want you to notice what God has just done. Look, 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 what, look at what he did. He just turned all the eyes of this city upward. And now they're all looking and wondering, who is this God? Is he, is he merciful? Is he, is he gracious? You see, they've gotten as low as they can. They believe in the Lord. They got as low as they can. They're crying out to him. They're turning from their sin. And now they're just, you're it. You're our only hope. Are you hoping in God this morning? It's God that turns my heart to himself. That's his grace. Here's the third shocking and amazing truth. God responds in grace when I repent. Praise God for that. God responds in grace when I repent. Verse 10 says, when God saw, and he knows what he's looking for, right? He's looking for that real repentance. And so when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, it says God relented. Uh, the old King James Version says that God repented. You're like, what, what, what does that mean? Like that, that's kind of crazy. It really leads us to ask the question, like, did, did God change his mind here? Uh, because I didn't hear an if-then statement in, in verse 4 in the proclamation. Uh, Jonah just said, yet 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. End of story. It's going to happen. So, so, so what, what's going on here? Well, there was an implicit contingency. If they would repent, then God would withhold judgment. That's why he sent the warning. Think about that. That's why he told it. He sent a prophet to warn them. He could have just blown them off the map if that was the plan, but God's plan was not to blow the place off the map without giving them an opportunity to repent. And so uh, John Calvin in this, in this point is said in referring to God, then we ought not to imagine that anything more under the term repentance than just a change of action simply means that his procedure changed. In the meantime, there is no inversion of his counsel or his will, no change of his affection. God did not change. God punishes sin. That did not and it will not change. But he also responds in repentance. He responds in mercy and grace to repentant sinners. Praise God that will never change. Can you imagine what that would have been like though? I mean, just put yourself in the shoes of the people in the city of Nineveh, right? 40, 40 days. The, the timer is set. You're, everybody's like sitting in the ashes. Nobody's eating. Nobody's drinking. Everybody's like, they're, they're wailing. They're crying out for mercy. Just this little glimmer of hope. The countdown's going. Five, four, three, two, one. And as the sand in the hourglass trickles to a stop, there's this moment of silence and everybody just waits. Nothing happens. And now they know who this God is. And now they've come to know that even though I don't deserve it, God responds in grace 
when I repent at all. Is that shocking to you this morning? You know that God is calling you to repent? You know that he wants to give you his grace? He wants that. I want you to hear his heart. Second Peter 3 says that he is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's what he wants. He wants everyone to reach repentance. 2 Timothy 2 says he's the one who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants to give you his grace. And he's extending that opportunity for you this morning. I remember talking with a, a Muslim co-worker of mine. And uh, we were having a conversation about the things that he had learned from the Quran and the mosque. And we were talking. I said, you know, kind of based on, on, on um, what you've been told, I, I, I was asking him, like, do you have any assurance that when you die, you'll be saved from your sins? Can, do, do you know that? And he kind of had to say, like, well, you know, like, nobody can really know that. In fact, he told me there's this phrase that, that, that he was taught, that, and this is what they say, Allah knows, Allah knows. You know what he was really saying? Who knows with no hope? But you can Because Jesus died on the cross in your place. He did it for you. And he wants to extend his mercy and his grace to you today. So if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Is that awesome to you? Lord, I'm just praying that you would stir our affections for you, for your son, that you would do this for us, that you would extend mercy and grace that we don't deserve. God, I praise you for that. Hey, listen, nobody else is looking around. We're all... Everybody's heads are bowed. Nobody's, nobody's looking. Do you know that God wants to give that grace to you today? Do you know that you are a sinner? Do you know that you need Jesus to save you from your sins? If that's you and you say, I've never done that before. I've never trusted in Jesus to save. I, I, I need that. I want that in my life. I want God to save me. If that is you, nobody else is looking around. Would you just... Raise your hand so I can see it. I want to pray for you. Say, that's me. Amen. Lord, I'm praying that you would draw our hearts to yourself. This isn't just the beginning. This isn't the ABCs of Christianity. This is everything, that our hearts would be drawn into affection for your son, that we would be in amazement that you would extend your mercy and your grace to us. We give you praise for that. And God, you, you want to use us on this mission. I don't deserve that. I've not been faithful to you. I'm not impressive. Yet you still want to use us. God, I pray that would you light this fire that would fuel the mission for us to go 
and be bold witnesses. Take your name to the nations. There is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. So we praise you for Jesus. And we thank you for your amazing grace.